Jared was saying beforehand how he was going to do a reading. Um, Marlene was going to read the scripture. Kurt was going to light the, the candle. And Lou was going to look pretty. <laughs> and Lou, I just wanted to say you did a really, really good job. <laughs> Our online people are very grateful. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, today's sermon is really going to be, um, is kind of the, the first sermon in our Advent series. We're starting a new series today, uh, looking at the, the gifts of God. I did it again. Children, church. I'm going to give you something to throw at me next week, okay? So children, three to seven. Children are the gifts of God. There you go. Thank you. And we're very grateful for them. My, let's pray. Dear Lord, that is a true statement. These are your gifts. And as we start a new sermon series thinking about the gifts of God and all the blessings you've given us, Father, for these we are grateful. For many of us over the past week, over the past few days when we got together with our family, even our grown children and our teenage children and our older children, Father, and we, we reminisced about our lives together and told stories of our family and just enjoyed being together, Father, the gift of children, the gift of family has never been more clearly seen. And Father, we are grateful. We ask your blessings upon these gifts. We ask for those who will help them learn today about you. I pray that they will learn how special they are, how loved they are by their creator, how important they are, and of what great value they have, as they are image bearers of God themselves. And so, Father, I pray for their time together that it will help them know you better. In Christ's name, amen. So as I was saying, we are starting this new series today, thinking about the gifts from God, different gifts we get from God as gifting and giving of gifts is a big part of at least much of our Christmas celebration. Um, on the back for me, please. And really today is kind of that transition into our Advent series um, as we kind of move into the gifts of God. Today, really, to be honest with you, is our New Year's Eve sermon, all right? So instead of New Year's Eve or, or on the New Year's Day, when we all make resol uh, resolutions or we try to better ourselves in, in the new year, today is kind of that prep for that. Because here's my hope. Here's what I hope I will be in the coming year, which will be just, what, four short weeks away or so, five short weeks away. What I'm hoping for myself, what I want to be myself, and what I hope for you, for our church, and for the larger church, for Christendom across the world, is that we will be people in the coming year who are grateful, thankful, and peaceful, right? And, and, and that, that the world really needs some people to be grateful, thankful, and peaceful. And, and I really believe it's the church's duty, role, uh, uh, opportunity to, to live in this world as people who are grateful, thankful, and peaceful. 
But that's not just going to happen. And so really we're starting a process leading up to the new year. And we're going to use the Advent season to kind of help us get prepared to live in this new world or in this new year as people who are grateful, uh, thankful, and peaceful. That's my hope. That's what I want us to be in the coming year, what I want for myself, what I want for our church, and for Christendom. But when I look at the condition of the world, when I look at the news, when I, when I, I look around me, I really, to be honest with you, think this could be quite a challenge. You know, it could be difficult in our current circumstances to live grateful, thankful, and peaceful. Um, I once heard a sermon when I uh, was a teenager about the end of the world, right? And uh, it, it's funny to me sometimes now that I'm beyond my teen years, um, barely, um, to, to think back about what I learned or heard when I was a teenager and, and the parts that stuck. There are certain things that just stuck, and I've never forgot them. And I heard this preacher one time talking about the end of the world and, and uh, how um, that the world was kind of running down and that evil and sin would increase. And he described it like this. He described it like a funnel, you know. Back in the day when malls were really popular, and you'd go to the mall, they would have this thing in a mall that, that some uh, charitable organization would put out there, you know, and if you had change, you could put it in, and it had a little launch pad, and you put it down, you dropped your quarters or your things in it. I was just in the mall the other day, our mall. I had to get my license renewed because of my birthday, and uh, they got one there. I, like, didn't have my phone out, I took a picture. I'm like, look, they still exist. You know, you drop your coins down in that thing, and it'd start on that big loop, and real slow, and then go around, and then it'd go around. But then as it moved towards the bottom of the funnel, your coins are like, they, they started picking up speed. And, and when it got to, you know, right before the bottom dropped out, they were going around really, really fast. And this preacher described he believed the world would be like that. That over time, sin had been increasing. You know, sin and evil had been on the increase. And for a long time, it was really slow coming around and slow coming around. And things changed, especially for the bad, very, very slowly, almost unrecognizably. And it would take decades, and you'd go, oh, that's now okay. And it used to not be okay 10 years ago or three years ago or whatever. But as it got closer to the bottom... As they got closer towards the actual end, that things would come around a lot faster. And the increase of sin and the increase of evil would be just seems like it's going really, really fast. And we can barely keep up. I've remembered that all my life for some reason. It stuck with me. I heard it in a summer camp probably when I was 13, 14 years old. And I've never forgot the image that he painted. Now, some 40 years later, I wonder how accurate he was. Because it does, to me, seem like things are coming around really, really fast. Things are spinning out of control faster than I ever imagined. And it seems like it wasn't 10 years ago that, that it was just a year ago or two years ago or six months ago when too many of us are saying, I never thought I'd see the day. I never imagined that it would be like this. 
And, and, and so when it looks around, it just seems like things are happening faster and faster. And sin and the approval of sin is coming around quicker and quicker and quicker. Now, I'm not trying to be pessimistic. Just what I believe is biblically realistic. Because the Bible talks about things running down and running out of control and evil increasing. And in Romans 1, it says that people will not only do things, they will approve of that evil, right? And so this is just a realistic biblical view of the world. But it makes it challenging to be grateful, thankful, and peaceful. And so our theme verse for this year, our theme verse for our, for our Christmas series and as we prepare to, to live in the new year, thankful, grateful, and peaceful, is thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the gifts of God. Uh, at least four major gifts that God gives us that every day should help us wake up being grateful and thankful and peaceful in a world that's spinning out of control. And I don't know how close it is to the bottom and it just dropping out, but it seems like it's getting closer. How do we live in that world? Because we as disciples are supposed to live as examples of light, hope, and joy in the worst of times. One of the greatest gifts we can give to the world is that when things are dark and when things are black and when things are out of control, we can live as examples of light. We can live as examples of hope and we can live as examples of joy. But that won't come naturally unless we make ourselves and prepare ourselves to do it. And so I want to so today's sermon is called Enduring Thanks, right? We spent a day being thankful, right? We have a national holiday. Everybody get together and be grateful. The other 364, well, you can do what you want to, right? But today we're all going to be grateful. And really what we as Christians, if we're going to live in this world as we should, we need to have an enduring thanks, a thanks that's not just for Thanksgiving, a thanks of every day. Of, of every hour, of every moment, that, that our, our thanks needs to endure even in the darkest of times, even when the world, we don't even understand or believe or comprehend the world in which we now live. Because, here's some things I want us to understand. Gratitude promotes endurance. We have to live in a fallen world. We have to live in a world that is less than we want it to be and is often... Uh, at odds with us. And if we're going to endure that world, gratitude promotes our endurance. Otherwise, we just tend to give up. When we're not grateful, when, we're, when, we're, when we're ungrateful, when we're unthankful, it makes us want to just give up, throw our hands up, and quit, right? Run off to some mountain somewhere, isolate ourselves, and have nothing to do with this crazy place we call the world. But gratitude endure and promotes our endurance to live in this world. Gratitude also displays our faith. It shows what we believe on the inside. When we can live in that world and say, I am grateful for this. I am thankful for this. When we can find in this world moments and things to be grateful for, it displays to the world our faith. 
They live differently. There must be something different about these people. And finally, gratitude honors God. In Psalm 50, 23, I'll read this again in a little bit. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. That our thanksgiving is a glorification of God. It brings honor to God when his people are grateful and they offer thanks to him. And so today I just want to talk about the the attitude of gratitude, as a lot of preachers will say it. The idea of thanks and having an enduring thanks. Now that we're past thanksgiving and we prepare to live in a new world as grateful, thankful, peaceful people, uh, I, I, we need to understand or at least look at what the Bible teaches about thanksgiving a bit. Number one, gratitude is commanded. It's actually a command of God for us to be grateful. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18 says, through 18 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, we have prayed three or four times all this morning, and most of us wouldn't think about going a day without offering up at least a sentence prayer in the morning before we get out of bed or before we go to bed at night. Like, God expects us to pray. God wants us to pray. Jesus in the the, uh, Sermon on the Mount says, when you pray, there's this expectation, almost command for us to pray, that, that we sing about rejoicing, that we should have joy, and we're told about that. But it also tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. And so this idea of being thankful, of, of having gratitude, is actually a command, that this is the will of God for us to live with thankful attitudes. And it's not conditional right? In all circumstances. I took care of, I I use this joke too often, but I really like it. Um, I looked that word up in the Greek. I did a deep, in-depth study of the word all, and it means all, (laughs) right? Not partial, not most, not 99%, 100%. It means all circumstances, very clear that whatever circumstance we're in, we're supposed to try to find a thing to be thankful for, an attitude of gratitude, this, why am I grateful? Because God commands this for me. This is the will of God. It's a simple command for us. Gratitude, then, is a choice. What I want you to understand, if it's something that God commands you to do, then, then part of it is a decision of yours because there's other commands we have. Now, I'm going to give you guys a little test. How many of you can think of some commands, things that God wills for you to do? You, you, when you live your life, do you know what God wants you to do? Some of you, at least some things God wants you to do, raise your hand. All right. So most of you have an idea of God's commands. How many of you will admit that sometimes you don't do what God commands? <laughs> Okay, that's, that's good, I guess, or bad, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> the, point of, the point of the matter is we can know what God's commands are, and sometimes we can do different. That, that because it's a command, it recognizes that we have a decision to make. There's an element of control we have over that, that I can choose to do it, and I can choose not to do it. And when it comes to God's command to be grateful, to be thankful, we can also choose not to be. 
You know, that we have a choice. This is a command. And gratitude is not a feeling you feel in pleasant circumstances. That might be happiness. But, but gratitude isn't something that's dependent upon how we feel. It's actually a choice we make. It's a decision. It's an act of our will is to define something, to recognize something, to look for something, to simply choose to be grateful and not wait for everything to come up the way I want it to. And now, oh, I'm happy. I got everything I wanted. Psalm 7, the psalmist in Psalm 7, verse 17 says this. I will give to the Lord the thanks due his righteousness. And I will sing praise to his name of the Lord the Most High. It's not I might. It's not I'd like to. It's a decision I will do this. Many of us stood here just a few moments ago. Scott said, came up and said, please stand with me, right? As we uh, sing our songs of worship. And many of you chose to do that. I didn't see Scott running out there with a cattle prod, you know, poking you. Like, get up, get up, get up. He didn't make you do it. You made a choice. You know, just like that second part of that verse, I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. We chose to sing to him. We chose to honor him with our words. We acted out of our will. And then the prior part of that verse is I will give thanks. I will give to the Lord thanks do his righteousness. I will give thanks because of who he is, not because of my circumstances. And if we only give thanks when our circumstances are what we want them to be, we're forgetting who we're giving thanks to. I have a mentor, um, his name is Randy Murphy, and he has a, a list of Murphyisms kind of principles he lives life by. And uh, Murphyism number one, he, he says, he tells me he gets up every morning, and one of the first thoughts he has is this, I deserve to go to hell. Anything less than that's a pretty good day. He said, he said it sets my perspective on who I am and the righteousness of God, who he is, and how this relationship works. And the fact that I have grace and mercy and salvation and the promise of eternal life gives me something to be grateful for every morning before my feet hit the ground. Because I have chosen <laughs> to break too many of his commands. And that has a rightful wrath that comes from God. But in his mercy, he's forgiven me. And so we can be grateful, and it is a choice we act on. But we would all do it, right? We would all be grateful all the time if it was easy. <laughs> the truth of the matter is that gratitude can be a challenge. The fact that it's a command and the fact that we struggle with it sometimes is representative in that it is a challenge, that this is a fallen world. And things don't always turn out like I want them to. And things are challenging and life is difficult and people disappoint me and hurt me and circumstances are far less than I want them to be. And it makes my choice to be grateful a challenge sometimes. And I think it's okay to look at that and be honest about that. Job, in chapter 2, verse 10, when he writes, he said, But he said to his wife, he's speaking to his wife, You speak as a foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did, uh, did not sin with his lips. Shall we only receive good from the Lord? 
Can we not endure trials and tribulations? Can we not deal with the world when it's less than our son? Is God our great genie in the sky who's supposed to give us everything we want? Three wishes, and finally on my third wish, I wish for more wishes, and I just keep getting wishes? Or do I have to love the Lord and honor him and be grateful even in the bad times? Habakkuk. The Old Testament prophet in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, he's praying for his country. And this is what he says. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yields no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me, he makes me tread on high places. When we look in the backstory of Habakkuk, we quickly realize that this is really a dark book. Israel has had a reform-minded king, Josiah, who, who wanted to bring them back, and he's been killed. The nation of Israel has slid back into the sin and apostasy. And the prophet Habakkuk is struggling why God seems silent and he's unwilling to judge Israel. He's unwilling to bring them back. And then he cries out, even if everything fails, I will still rejoice in the Lord. In Habakkuk's third chapter, the prophet prays for God to receive his, revive his work in Israel. Toward the end of the prayer, Habakkuk recognizes the potential hardships that will come <clears throat> With God's judgment, despite the difficulties, he resolves to take joy in God's salvation. The fact of the matter is, choosing to obey God's command is difficult at times. It can be a challenge. We live in this fallen world, and I don't know that I see it getting a lot better, especially if we're in this funnel coming round. But I do know God's people can live in those moments grateful and thankful and peaceful and even joyful because of the gifts of God. One of the other sad things that we must realize then that if, if gratitude is a command, then complaining is a sin. Now that hurts a little bit. And I tried to figure out a way to soft pedal that, you know, to, to make it okay because I'll just be honest with you, I found myself doing too much of it. There's a lot to gripe about, and there's a lot to complain about, and the world isn't as I want it to be or hope for it to be, and I can quickly run off the rails into griping and complaining about the condition of the world and the people in it and just pick something. It's kind of our nature, right? We so easily fall into complaint. I think it's part of our sin nature is to gripe and to complain. And when I wrote it down like this, it helped me just to remind myself that this is a sin. And part of our job, part of our duty as disciples, as followers of Christ, is to seek out sin and to get rid of it. And we have to name it. You know, we're, we, we can really identify a lot of sin in the world especially the sin that belongs to other people. It's so obvious. I don't know why they can't see it. Thankfully, they have me to point it out to them, right? I am, I am the blessing of God to point out the sin in your life. Too many Christians, I think, have that attitude. 
when we need to be thankful for the Holy Spirit and ask him to help point out the sin in our own lives, right? That we need to deal with that ourselves. That part of our job, part of our discipleship is confession and repentance of sin. If we say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. If we say we don't have sin, the truth is not in us. That's from 1 John. And so this is a sin I think we fall into, and we must see it for what it is, that complaining is a sin, and that we must avoid it, repent of it, confess it, and turn from it. And so it's so easy to say, okay, well, then I'm just not going to complain anymore. But we, and I, I tell people this all the time, we don't live life not doing things. We live life doing things. So if you're not going to complain, what are you going to do? So let's, repentance would be replacing our complaint with thanksgiving. And when I face these situations, I'm like, I want to gripe and complain and... That's my cue, but I'm going to figure something to be thankful for in this moment. That's how repentance works. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Do all things, again there's that all word and it means all, do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Imagine going into a place and you just, imagine somebody being able to say about you or you say about somebody, I never heard them complain one time about anything. They were always thankful and they were always joyful and they were always peaceful. I wonder what's up with them, right? This would be a testimony to a world that we're children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation that we could live as lights in this world. If we would just but replace our complaints with thanks, it would be a witness to the world. We learn this story very clearly in the story of the Exodus when the children of Israel are being led out of captivity. One of the main themes of that book is that complaining is a sin. Because they do a lot, a lot, a lot of griping and complaining about Moses, about the food, about God, about, the, about everything, about the people, about the water, everything they're upset about. The psalmist in 106, in Psalm 106, chapter, verses 20 through 25, kind of brings that, all, that whole story of their griping and complaining into a, a, a small uh, piece. He sums it up. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wonderful works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said he would destroy them, and not Moses, his chosen one, who stood in the breach before him. To turn away his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in the promise. They murmured, complained in their tents and did not obey the voice of God. That ultimately when we're griping and complaining, we're forgetting God. We're thinking about ourselves. What I want, what I need, what I think I deserve. And our complaints are usually based in who we want to be or what we want or our desires than in faith 
in God who has done wonderful things, but they forgot God. It's interesting that 106 sounds very sound where they exchange the glory of God for an image. Sounds very heavily like Romans chapter 1 where they exchange the glory of God for an image and they give into all kinds of evil and the approval of all kinds of evil because they forgot how they forgot who God was and they started to gripe and complain about things. And ultimately that it's where our thanks has to rest. That when we're commanded to it, when we struggle with it, when it's a choice we face, uh, when we recognize that complaining is sin, this is the statement that we have to realize. God is good. And if we're complaining, if we're griping, if we're not being thankful, there's a good chance we've forgotten that God is good. This is the root of all our gratitude. This is the root of all our thanks. This is why we can get up every day and be a grateful, peaceful, thankful people. James 1, verses, starting with verse 16, says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't be fooled. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own he, will, he has brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. God is good. Everything that you have in your life that is good is from God. And even in our worst situations, God is still good. As the psalmist said, I will praise you for your righteousness. I will praise you for who you are, that I serve a good living God. And that no matter what, I can be grateful. Psalm 107.1, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. If you have nothing else to be thankful for, God, I'm thankful for you. You are good, you're steadfast, you're loving, and you last forever. And that's enough to be thankful for each and every day. So as we move through the next four weeks and we look at some more specific good gifts, some very powerful good gifts God's given us. Grace, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and eternal life, the gifts of God. I hope that we will find a lot to be grateful for. And then we'll enter the new year ready to be a people who are grateful, thankful, and peaceful in this fallen world. Because this, being grateful encourages us to endure a fallen world. I know the world's messed up, and I want us to be able to live in it as lights, as examples, as people of hope to display God to the world. And being grateful helps us endure that fallen world. Being grateful is a daily display of faith. 
We read, the, we read verses where it talks about daily taking up our cross, daily serving the Lord. And being people who are grateful and thankful is a daily display. You can get up and show your faith in God and his goodness every day with the simple act of choosing and acting to be thankful. And finally, thinking about gifts, and we're going to be talking about the gifts of God. I want you to realize being grateful gives God the gift of honor. We want to glorify God. We want to gift him with the honor that's due him. Living as grateful, contented, peaceful, joyful people in the midst of a very fallen world honors our God. It gives him the gift of recognition. It gives him the gift of praise. It gives him the gift of, of trust and faith. It gives him the gift of honor. How great it would be for the world to go. Everybody else seems to be really anxious, except for all them Christians. They're just joyful and grateful and peaceful in this messed up world. What do you think about that? It would honor our God.